Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. On this week's episode, I have a wide-ranging conversation with the architect, educator, and writer Emmett Zeifman. Emmett is one half of Medium Office, a architecture studio that he co-founded with Alfie Coter, with whom he also publishes Project, a publication that investigates the possibilities for developing a critical position in contemporary architecture. Uh, between, the, between all of that, he also teaches at Columbia in their architecture program. A few months ago, I read a profile of Medium Office on the website Archinect and was immediately struck by how similar Emmett's work was to my own, though he was working in and around architecture and I was working in and around graphic design, it seemed like we were both uh, trying to build a sort of expanded practice that included not just designing, but also teaching and writing and criticism and all of the things that I always talk about on this podcast. And so I kind of knew immediately that I needed to get him on here to talk about all of these things. So in this episode, we talk about all of that. We talk about how he first studied literature and then uh, moved into architecture. We talk about how he started teaching and the overlap between the studio and the classroom. We talk about the uh, desire for an alternative critical discourse around architecture that led to his co-founding project. And there's just a lot in this one, and I found this conversation just uh, endlessly fascinating. Remember, if you're a fan of the podcast and want to help support it, you can become a member for $5 a month or $50 a year to receive an exclusive monthly newsletter with additional content and episode previews. Uh, These memberships really help keep the podcast going, and I just appreciate all of your support and hope that you enjoy this conversation with Emmett Zeifman. started researching when we started talking and, and researching you I had seen that you originally in undergrad studied English literature is that true yeah yes so, I did a honors degree in English literature at McGill okay was that while you were you doing architecture at the same time or was this a separate no no no, no. I didn't study architecture as an undergraduate I, okay I, I just went to graduate school so okay so why what uh why English literature what were you th- you know back to like 18 year old and what was the plan uh, well, there wasn't, I mean, it's, this is probably typical of most things. There wasn't really a plan, but, um, I was interested in architecture before going to college. I actually was at a high school where there was architecture, which is probably unusual. Oh, interesting. Uh, so I took some sort of drafting courses in high school. Um, the high school had a whole kind of technical component. It was an interesting place where there were many different, it was a sort of feeder school for many different specialties. So there was a big say art and drama and music program there's a big sort of technical like auto shop um type component that also included this drafting program and i was in a curriculum that involved doing there was a kind of design um course that you take every year that was broken down into modules and we would go you know we we did something at the auto shop one term and you know built a i don't remember what we built something you know yeah yeah, yeah. remote control car or something and then we had an architecture component. So I, I did like three, not fever, probably full semesters really, but sort of okay. three like modules in architecture where I was just drafting like, you know, sort of modernist cabin. And I, I, I was exposed to architecture as a kid because my parents were interested in uh, architecture. I, I grew up in, in a kind of um, part of Toronto, or, you know, sort of culturally in Toronto in a, 
around people who had an interest in design. Yeah. So it, it was something that was, and, and exposed to things in the city because the city was, there was a lot of construction happening, a lot of new projects right. happening. And I was kind of interested in those things always. Um, so I had an awareness of it and some kind of literacy in it maybe. But um, when I went to school, to when I went to college, I think partly I was just interested in other things as well and had no definitive idea that I absolutely wanted to be an architect. It was just one of many things that I I found interesting. Um, yeah. And literature being another one of them. And actually when I went to college, I started in history and political science, thinking more maybe that I would go into politics even or more sort of journalism or something to oh, do yeah. more with, yeah. say, contemporary issues in the world. Um, and then I think was dissatisfied with that somehow in my first year of college, ended up in English literature by my, say, third year of college, was dissatisfied with that. Um, or, you know, felt like I was missing, I dissatisfied is the wrong word, because I, I was enjoying it. And I, I, I went through the English curriculum and, and wrote an honors thesis and, and did all of that uh, work. And it was really valuable, but I think I was missing um, a more tangible kind of hands-on form of work. And, yeah. um, you know, I'd always taken art classes in, in high school and, and always drawn and made stuff. And, and so uh, I realized more and more that architecture was something that, that would maybe allow me the opportunity to both work in, say, writing or in more academic forms of discourse and also to, to make things and, and engage directly in the world in some way. Um, and I knew I wanted to go to graduate school. I knew I was interested in teaching as well. Um, and you, and you knew that while you were in undergrad, that those were... Yeah, yeah, I always, okay. I think teaching was always something I was interested in as well. Oh, okay, and I'm not sure. I mean, I'd have to think about why exactly, but um, yeah, I mean, I think I've always been interested. Maybe in, in it, it relates to editing, um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, in in contributing in some way to shaping a kind of discourse or putting pieces together and seeing how they fit and seeing what kinds of um, ideas translate, say, from you know whether it's from one book to another or mm -hmm. one building to another or one period in history to another. Um, and so I think teaching was always appealed to me as, a, as an opportunity to think on that level or to, or to kind of put ideas together in that way, um, you know, through the construction of a syllabus or the, the, right. the bringing yeah, together yeah, yeah. Of, of a, you know, it's a sort of, uh, was always attracted to the idea of like the atlas, let's say like yeah, right. War, Warburg's like atlas where you, yeah, yeah. You, you make more understated relationships between things. Um, but Anyway, so, so where were we? Oh yeah, so I so I was in I was in graduate. I'm sorry, I was in undergraduate. I was at McGill, which has a very good undergraduate architecture program, actually, like a five year BR oh, yeah, program. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I had been sort of aware of the fact that if I were to have done that in college, it would have meant my first year would have in that kind of program at that school would have been all say physics, chemistry, math stuff that I didn't really have an interest in doing. Um, and I, was, I guess I was already maybe sort of aware that in graduate school you wouldn't have to do that. Um, and <laughs> yeah. so. Uh, and, and they, our graduate school in architecture was a, it being a professional program, you didn't necessarily need to have a background in architecture to go mm -hmm. into it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, at a certain point, I think in, in undergraduate, decided I was maybe going to go to architecture school, um, like maybe around my third year of, of, of college. Um, okay. And so then I finished college, I kind of wandered around, you know, I was like working in bars and traveling and not really doing anything particularly directed for a little while. And then um, a year after I graduated from college, I came to New York and I spent the summer in New York and, and went to the Columbia Intro to Architecture program, oh, okay. which is one of those yeah. kinds of um, introductory uh, programs 
that's portfolio building and kind of exposure to the discourse of architecture and to, to the studio um, environment. And then from there, I applied to grad schools and then went the following year. So I had a sort of two-year hiatus where I wasn't okay. doing yeah. much. Uh, and, and then or did, doing sort of odd jobs and, and traveling and, and probably doing things uh, that you can only really do at that yeah. point in your life. And then came back and went to graduate school and then since then have been in architecture. I'm, I'm very curious what that realization was like when you were, you know, in your third year of school, when you, when you kind of realized that architecture was a thing you could do, you know, or could be the thing that you were looking for, or like that kind of practical side of your career. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think, well, like yeah. What, what, what was, I guess maybe not like, what was that like, but what were the events that allowed architecture to kind of reveal itself to you I don't mean for that to sound so mystical but you know what you know what I mean yeah I think it, I mean I think in some sense it, it had it that was already revealed like I you know right because I, it was in because your it, career it was sort of in, in my childhood in, yeah in a kind of like cultural milieu where that was already seen as an option you know I think like my dad would say sometimes oh I would have loved to be an architect if he was an artist and a writer and taught, oh, okay. taught art and you know and I grew up around people who were doing, if not doing architecture, doing things which were sort of analogs to it in terms of their their sort of cultural position or whatever. Um, but, so in that sense, I don't think architecture, it's not yet like I discovered that architecture was an option. I think it was more that I had always been interested in it and was realizing more, you know, as I wrote one paper after another in, in college, realizing that that wasn't the only form of work I wanted to do. And I wanted to right. go to graduate school. I, I wanted to work at a higher level um, and of, you know, engaging with ideas and developing um, ways of thinking about things. And I realized, I think, that I couldn't, I wouldn't be satisfied if the only medium within which that happened was writing and mm. was sort of writing about other people's work um, and that there needed to be something else that was more direct, whether it was sort of writing about my own work, you know, sort of writing my right. own ideas, yeah. um, not always as a kind of historian or a critic, but as an author uh, more directly, or mm. whether it was through what, you know, architecture is, which is designing things and making things and yeah. engaging more specifically with materials um, of other kinds. Um, and so I think that it was a sort of dissatisfaction, which I'm sure many people feel about whatever they're doing in college, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. but sort of dissatisfaction with uh, the way I was working and the kinds of work I was doing and right. both enjoying the work on one level and, and I, you know, I still like I would rather read literature than architecture writing for the most <laughs> okay. part for many reasons yeah like, mostly because it's better written um, but also uh, yeah being, being dissatisfied somehow with what my what the possibilities were for a, a career or not even career because I wasn't thinking about it in terms of say like money or you know yeah yeah yeah, a, yeah no I know a, a career path but like a, a kind of life in literature, particularly if I wasn't going to be an author, which I think I had realized, though I'd always written and entertained some ideas of being a, a writer, you know, a kind of like fiction or poetry writer, let's say a poet, yeah. um, that I wasn't particularly good at it and wasn't, I wasn't going to be a writer um, or didn't have the, the, the capacity to write that way or, yeah. or wasn't going to do the work to become a good enough writer that, um, that I, I could do that. And so, you know, having a more kind of direct, I think a medium that was more direct that allowed me to work more on my or my own stuff mm -hmm. yeah. as opposed to, to sort of always working in relation to somebody else's was appealing to me too. The reason I, I wanted to start with with studying literature is I've been struck by of the, you know, however many people I've interviewed, 80, whatever, how many 
people come from a literature background that I've talked to, um, especially people who are kind of either practicing design or someone like uh, like Michael Rock I'm thinking about came from a literature background to people who um, are writing about architecture like uh, Alexandra Lang and Rob Jean Petro or you know people who are both kind of practicing practitioners or designers, but they came from a literature background. And this has been uh, a theme that has kind of emerged over these two years. And I'm, I'm curious if you think, I'm curious kind of what, what you take from that education now. Uh, does that, does that have an effect on how you think about being an architect or being someone who writes about or thinks about or teaches architecture? Or parallels between. Uh, I'm not sure I, I you know often think about it so directly. Although I'd say, for instance, that Arconnect interview. Yeah. You know, I think the idea of working maybe more intuitively and more through associations between things than say starting with a kind of a priori position or theory mm. and and somehow trying to prove it um, or elaborate it through design work. I think that more maybe intuitive way of working for me comes, I wouldn't say it comes out of literature, but it, it reflects something that I feel when I read, particularly like when I read novels, let's say, which is that they make, they suggest things and suggest connections between things and suggest connections between one work of one piece of writing and another, you know, one author's mm-hmm. work, another in a way that's, that's, um, slightly, kind of looser beneath the surface or somehow not so explicitly stated. You know, I was like, when I was yeah. an undergraduate, I was fascinated by, say, T.S. Eliot's um, argument that each author reconfigures hit the, oh. history, the history of yeah. Um, yeah. of literature in relation to their own project. And, and that's, I think somehow that kind of idea, um, maybe for me, comes most directly out of my experience of reading books and not in a theoretical sense, but in a kind of intuitive or immediate sense, which is like... Yeah, reading something and feeling like it opens up these connections between things, or within it, within a book, there's a whole kind of world that's contained, and that's always been really appealing to me. And so that's maybe where there's a, a sort of relationship. Yeah, I mean, that, that that might be a good way to then kind of talk about medium office and kind of the way you think about that, because that's what I was struck by in that Arkinek interview is that this is a. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm going to kind of re. I'm going to kind of say back to you what you said in my own words. So. Uh, if my interpretation is completely wrong, stop me. Well, I probably um, just communicated it poorly. So. <laughs> um, but that, that, you know, you guys started this studio uh, to be not just a traditional architecture studio where you're kind of taking commissions and clients, but as also a kind of platform or place for you to uh, kind of develop self-initiated projects or more experimental projects or uh, kind of more grant-funded or competition projects. And all of those could kind of fit together uh would that yeah i would say that i mean that's definitely true i'm not again i'm not sure how explicit it was or or how much say that would define our practice specifically because i think that was also a model which we were exposed to very much through the people we studied Mm. with at school when we were in graduate school and alfie and i my partner and i went to graduate school together um and you know his parents are architects and, and i think like that's very much a common model in architecture, particularly in, in America, I think, um, for a number of reasons, which we could talk about probably, you know, sort of institutional reasons or um, larger yeah. economic and social reasons that um, diminish basically the prospects of young architects actually getting interesting client yeah. work. 
Um, and so I think there's a kind of longstanding model of the office being somewhere between self-directed sort of studio practice <laughs> um, and client-driven um, design practice. And I think, uh, and there's, I think there's all kinds of problems that emerge from that too, in terms of architecture kind of confusing its relationship to art and other things. But um, I, yeah, I, to me, I don't, again, I wouldn't say that was like a, an explicit position that we took. It was more so that we, I think, maybe even uncritically or you know somewhat to our detriment in some ways didn't yeah, understand yeah. what an alternative d didn't see an alternative to that or, or or just took that not didn't see an alternative but took that for granted as a kind of model yeah rather than really interrogating it i think now the more that we do it and the more seriously we take it and the more we actually start to work with clients we you know i think productively question like oh well why would we do work that nobody pays for or right um you know what does like what are the stakes when we're generating our own projects? Do we need some kind of f external feedback um, to come into that yeah. process? Does it become a kind of solipsistic thing where right. we're just um, having right. fun and it's a, it feels more like a hobby than a? How do you how do you let me let me ask you the question this way? So something that I've always enjoyed talking to architects about, and the thing that I've always been kind of you know if I'm really honest, jealous of architecture. Uh, as someone who's never studied it, has never practiced it, um, is that kind of blend between uh, more speculative projects and the client projects and how those in architecture so often seem like they can sit next to each other better than in graphic design, where the kind of um, speculative or experimental work is kind of considered like personal projects. And that's a thing you do on your free time. This is a blanket statement, but that's, right. they're not, they don't kind of carry the same weight. And I realize that there are uh, kind of economic reasons of why that exists in architecture. Um, but I'm curious, I, I guess my question, the thing I'm trying to get at is how do you, you know, you're, you're talking about kind of struggling to articulate when those are appropriate to go together. How do you kind of think about that on a day-to-day -day basis of, this is a studio project. You know, this is something that, that Medium Office will do even if it's not a, a client. Well, I think, yeah, it's, I mean, it's funny because we will both, I think in our free time, uh, just make stuff in one medium or another. I mean, Alfie makes a ton of models and he'll sit at a foam cutter just, making, <laughs> you know, just making objects basically. Yeah. And they're not necessarily scaled or they're not necessarily specific to any project and I might do similar things although I do it less and less because I find my time so constrained by other things but you know might just draw plans you know or put things together um maybe me more digitally just because I don't either have the setup or the skill um, yeah. that he has with model making but um I think uh so in, in a sense that's that happens very kind of intuitively or habitually like we're just making stuff all the time i think deciding which of those things that we've made might have some value as a kind of project um to be developed is usually i would say now usually that happens when there's a kind of something comes up like we're invited to participate in an exhibition or mm -hmm. we're, um well typically that's the thing that comes up um and we will take something that we've made and sort of elaborate it as a project um, right. in that context and try to think, you know, more critically maybe about what it is and elaborate a kind of um, 
discourse around it. Um, but that, you know, I think that in a way that, that I think has changed since when we began where we would not, we would feel like, okay, we have to do a competition or we have to kind of, um, find a more traditional venue f for our work where, where things are resolved always right, through right. the model of like, this is, this is the project that could be built. Yeah. Um, I think that we have a looser relationship to now where the competition model seems like the most exploitative and problematic mm -hmm. and the one we have the least interest in and say doing an exhibition feels like a different, a, a kind of nice compliment or an opportunity yeah. Yeah. to elaborate certain interests, whether they be in kind of technique or representation or form, but maybe in a, you know, in a renovation for somebody's right. house, we're just not right. um, going to be able, not that we even won't be able to, I mean, yeah, ideally we're able to kind of integrate those things so that that renovation for that person's house becomes more interesting than it otherwise would because right. we, we're right. bringing to it a whole set of um, fascinations that we have that come out of other forms of work. But obviously those projects don't necessarily sort of of their own volition generate yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. such interesting ideas, you have to kind of bring something from outside of it. I mean, and I'm asking, I'm ask, I ask that question purely selfishly as someone who has a fairly new studio, uh, you know, basically after either working for other people or just being a full-time freelancer. And uh, I, a couple months ago, um, you know, six months ago or, or whatever, made the conscious decision that I was not going to be a freelancer, I was going to start a studio. And it's still just me, um, and it's it's kind of semantic in a way. It's kind of a, a branding exercise, a mental branding exercise. But it's raised all sorts of other, and, and part of it was to kind of get different types of work to be able to work on different projects at different scales. But it was also it's also raised a bunch of other questions of the the non client work. Does that fall under my studio now, or is that a uh, a Jarrett Fuller project versus right. a 26 design project. Um, and that, so it's something I've been thinking about a lot. And so that's kind of, you know, I'm kind of curious how you think about, um, you know, is it just a kind of semantic thing? I'm not asking for a, for a clear, no, no, <laughs> no, no, you to help me, but you know what? I, I mean, I think there's probably a spectrum to in say across like design practices, you know, I was struck and I, I don't want to presume anything because I was not really engaged with it in any meaningful way. But when I was at Yale, I would see the graphic design students work and it felt like there was this pressure on those students to produce the content for their own work. Mm. And that struck me as a difficult thing as a designer um, yeah. to be, be confronted with, okay, well, I'm trying to design a book, but I don't have any content yeah. to design. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, now I have to generate a, you know, a kind of conceptual art project right. or a personal narrative to fill that. Um, to, to be the content that then I can give form to through design. And it's somehow architecture for me, and again, this is, I, I, I only really know the architecture part, so if I'm yeah, no, no, that's, I mean, that's the, why I'm asking. The, the, the <laughs> yeah. characteristics of graphic design, I don't mean to, but um, for me, architecture is, say, a little bit a lot further along some spectrum where it's, the, I don't think there would be as many, it's a different kind of content, maybe, in which, say, Having the program of a four-bedroom house isn't right. the same as having the the two hundred pages of a book. Right, like, you can That's just kind really of take generic programs and design them, or there's maybe more sort of competitions or exhibitions or other mediums in which 
somebody else is giving you content right. and you can design it without right. necessarily having a client. And so I think that question of like, what's the content that my That's know, really personal right. work or my um, independent work addresses that somehow that's a different maybe it's a slightly different yeah. or parallel problem I've not, yeah, I think you're exactly right I've never thought about it like that before but that suddenly makes a lot of a lot of sense do you how so but the studio is not the only thing you do you're also teaching and you also produce this this journal um, how do those three things fit together or do you see them as three kind of separate things um yeah, they're three. They're definitely three separate things. In part because they're three different collaborations, or you know, three different teaching is me sort of as a freelancer, let's say, in dialogue with whichever institution I'm affiliated with at that moment, mm -hmm. which has been two. You know, first at CyArk in Los Angeles for three years, and now at, at Columbia at the GSAP. Um, you know, so that's very much, uh, and you know, let's say, uh, let's just you sort of functionally or. or um, uh, in the most straightforward terms like that, you know, it's me sort of negotiating a contract and, and navigating an institution and, right, and I'm right, doing that right. on my own or in right. that context. Then there's um, Medium, which is Alfie and I, um, and that's a design practice which emerged somewhat organically out of us being friends and working together at school, you know, sort of working occasionally on competitions or things once we left school, sometimes with other people, you know, mm -hmm. trying to figure out, okay, like we're both working in office jobs. We're not satisfied we know we want to do other kinds of work how do we start doing that kind of, kind of work and at a certain point when we both left our um you know we both stopped working for other people because we were, had other opportunities um we decided to sort of formally uh start the office and okay. name it and and have a you know a website and and, and yeah build more um in, intentionally a body of work as opposed to these kinds of one-off competitions, which nece wouldn't necessarily have so much to do with each other in terms right. of, say, aesthetics or, or kind of overriding interests. <laughs> um, and there's also kind of natural, like, say, maturation, where certain things fall away because you realize you're not that interested in them, and other things kind of um, right. bubble up over a number of projects, and you realize you keep coming back to the same issues, and they develop um, in a more uh, right. coherent way. Um, and then project was... Uh, you know, in a way, that was the most like int intentional of the ventures. Um, in that it was Alfie and I are two of the original editors, and there's two others, Daniel Markovich and Jonah Rowan, and we were all classmates, and we were all working together in studios and, and seminars we were taking at um, Yale. And at a certain point, again, <laughs> moment of uh, educational dissatisfaction, which is probably the the starting point for many things um, in yeah. know, many people's careers, but, you know, we were sort of dissatisfied with the discourse um, that we were exposed to through the lecture series and other kind of official school uh, forums oh. for discussion <laughs> of architecture, and we had all, um, but not, maybe not all of us, but most of us had uh, competed to edit Perspecta, which is oh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the Yale Journal of Architecture, which is much esteemed right. and long-standing um, uh, Architectural Journal, published by the school, you know, edited by students who compete to to have that year's issue, and actually designed by students from the graphic design program, um, and we had lost. So we, uh, so we had a uh, desire, um, you know, basically to, to have right. conversations, um, and I think in you know the conversation we were having before we started about how your how this podcast started, yeah, in a way it was a very similar thing. Project started with us in a 
slightly guerrilla way, maybe um, putting on a kind of parallel lecture series at the school oh, where we would invite people. I forget what night it was, but it, you know, it was some night when things were kind of quiet and nobody else was around. Um, and we would invite people up to the school um, from New York, typically, and we would have a public discussion with them and you know have some drinks after it. And so it was this kind of um, alternative lecture series, okay. let's say. And that, um, we did three of those in our last semester. Um, so and you were inviting people from outside the school who were coming to this? or what? Yeah, yeah. Like, so the first people we had were Reinald Martin and Katambari Bashi, who, were, um, who teach it at Columbia and, and okay. Barnard, respectively, and, and who have a... They, ha they had a practice now. They're sort of um, both... I don't know that they're full-time academics, but... Well, Reinhold is. He, he's sort of instrumental in the PhD program at the Buell Center okay. At, okay. at Columbia. I know his work a little better because I'm there now. But um, So they were the first people we invited up, and then we invited uh, Pierre Vittoria Relli uh, mm. was the second, and then the third, um, this guy Oliver Freundlich, who had a, a practice called MADE at that time in New York, um, which is more of a design-build practice, okay. and we were interested in, say, the first two were very sort of like theory-heavy um, right, right. or you know very much comfortably within the the world that we were already um, interested in. And the third one, we wanted to have somebody who brought a different kind of perspective or raised different kind of questions, particularly as we were all confronting, like, oh, we have to leave school and get jobs now. Yeah. Um, and then we ran out of, you know, then it was the end of the semester. So we, I don't think we really started this till late March, maybe. Okay. The first one I remember was on my birthday. So that was March 23rd. And then um, okay. it went from there till you know, mid-April or something. Right. Um, but we left school and we, we realized... We still want to have these conversations, and some of us had moved to New York um, and were uh, working. Jonah had moved to L.A. He was teaching at SciArc. Daniel, I think, was traveling. He'd won some award and was traveling. Anyways, we, you know, we were all looking yeah. for ways to kind of continue this discourse, and so we decided to start a journal. And it, it, we were somehow a part of this moment, maybe now it would be seven years ago, at which a number of journals started, some of which still mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, persist, like San Rocco, you know, had started, I think, more or less the same time. Um, some have, you know, were sort of more casual things, which yeah. um, fell away. And, and so we started a journal. We were, you know, we were sort of fortunate from our experience at Yale to be able to be connected to people who would be supportive of that kind of thing financially and otherwise. Oh, okay. And we had a yeah. Kickstarter and we raised some money and we published the first issue. And then um, since then we've done we, of course, initially thought we would do, like, a quarterly, you know, four issues a year. We do one issue a year if we're lucky. Um, but we've since kept publishing that. Jonah stopped working on it because he went to, back to Columbia and is now a, a doctoral candidate. And so he was kind of okay. full-time um, doing that. But the, the three of us have continued to do that. And so, you know, so that works at kind of its own speed and its own register relative to the other things, which are, um, you know, either yeah. Alfie or I or, or me and and school, each of those has its own um, sort of dynamic and yeah. interest associated with it. I want to talk a little bit more about the journal, uh, if that's okay. And yeah. but before before I ask a couple questions, I think I think it would just be helpful for listeners if you kind of just do like we just kind of went right into it. Could you kind of give uh, you know your kind of like one one to two sentence boilerplate, like what is Project Journal? So I. I would say Project is a journal which is um, intended to be a platform for young architects. Let's say young in architecture can be a broad term, but young, you know, sort of young or slash emerging um, practices to articulate their positions. Mm -hmm. And so for the most part, what we publish is not 
criticism written by critics or uh, written by historians, so we do publish some of that. Um, for the most part, we publish is uh, in one form or another the work of um, sort of young architects and, and emerging practices. So whether it's okay. those pr practices sort of writing a manifesto type piece or articulating their positions, whether it's us having a conversation with them, whether it's um, publishing their work and kind of commenting on it ourselves. Um, or, and, and for the, you know, when we do publish sort of cr critics and historians, it tends to be um, critics and historians, right, right. Who, let's say, are, are analogous um, or, or equivalent in the sense that they're also trying to stake out some new territory okay. in the discipline. And so it w it's always, it, in that way, it very much emerged naturally out of the conversations, which was, you know, those were engaging with people we found interesting and saying, well, why are you doing what you're doing or what are you doing? Um, and this is very much the same, but in multiple mediums, so or in sort of multiple formats. Um, right. Whether it's them writing an essay, that's them talking to us, them sending us work, um, or sometimes somebody else writing about them. Yeah, I'm struck. I was struck by when you said that you, you know, you graduated. You kind of went separate ways, but you still wanted to continue that discourse, or there was still some sort of conversation that you wanted to have. Uh, and I, I'm very interested in the the value that you see, or the the way that kind of, in quotes, critical discourse uh, affects either your practice or, you know, even your readers. What, what is, what's, what role does that play in the work? Um, well, I think on the, you know, there's, there's say a similar impulse or an impulse that carries through from the beginning, which is we're simply curious or interested in, in the, the discipline and in understanding where it is and, and what's going on, and this has been a, a really productive and interesting um, vehicle for exploring um, that. And then there's, uh, let's say, it then makes us, gives us a kind of literacy, which I think translates, certainly for Alfie and I, I wouldn't say it directly translates to our design practice, but it informs it in the sense that we're able to situate what we're doing relative to this larger field. Yeah. and and make sort of critical judgments about where we want to go relative to where things are going. Um, yeah. And then certainly with teaching, I mean, it's both been, you know, in the most um, transparent way, like an extremely valuable um, tool for meeting people and right. building a kind of professional network. And it, right. I don't think the, the, we're all teaching or we all have taught now um, at graduate schools. And I don't think probably any of us would or would have been in the same way we are um, now had we not worked on the journal um, and forged certain connections through that and also mm -hmm. built a kind of reputation um, in the discipline through that. Um, but also, of course, in much more, um, let's say, interestingly, uh, actually informs how we teach. And again, similarly, maybe to how it informs um, Alfie and I's design practice, it, it informs the kind of pedagogy and allows right. us to really understand um, what's going on at different schools, what people who we would consider kind of peers or generational yeah, yeah. Um, affiliates might be interested on and interested in and working on and, and how we might um, build pedagogy in relation to that. Um, so for instance, the studio I'm teaching at Columbia right now is very much uh, in part a kind of, uh, you know, it's a sort of like meta critique of certain disciplinary tendencies. And I think 
in part project has informed that. Oh, interesting. In, in other ways, of yeah. course, teaching itself is the, yeah. the, an yeah, amazing yeah. vehicle for being exposed to other people's ideas. Um, but certainly project, especially when we weren't teaching, like when in those first couple of years, well, what Jonah was teaching, but the rest of us who were working in offices or doing other things, um, it was really the way in which we maintained that connection to a different kind of um, language about architecture, yeah. a different set of ideas. Has it changed how you actually think about your own work or how you approach your work? Yeah, yeah, I think absolutely. I mean, I think, on you know, in some level, it uh, reinforces probably anxieties we would already <laughs> naturally have, which is like, you know, look at all these amazing people doing all this amazing work. What, are we that good? Um, yep, uh, I, know, I know what you're talking about there. And anxieties about, say, articulating a kind of position, like, you know, could, could we produce an essay that would define our practice? Or, you know, or do we think these essays that these other people producing define their practices are the appropriate kind of, like, are, are how, I don't know, how effective are they or how, right. or how much are they kind of obfuscating in service of that coherent position? Um, that's something I think which we, we've become, like, much more sort of comfortable with, the idea that we don't necessarily want to write that essay or take that position um, where we say this is what our practice is and this is what we stand for and this is you know, this kind of defines us. Mm -hmm. Not that we don't think we stand for things or, or have, you know, a sort of ethic in how we work, but that, again, it, it's a more kind of intuitive and and yeah. uh, slowly emerging um, sensibility than it is something that was just kind of imposed from the top down and, and defined in advance yeah, yeah. Um, or even in retrospect by us. Um, and maybe it is up to other people to make those judgments about what, what we're actually yeah, yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah. What about teaching? Has teaching... I mean, you had mentioned how how project kind of has influenced teaching or has kind of connected to things you're doing uh, kind of in the classroom. Has teaching then, you know, things that you're kind of playing with and experimenting in the classroom, have those filtered back either into medium or project? I mean, in project, I think there's a very direct link, which is certainly if you were to look at the contributors and the kind of biographies of the people who we've published, there's often some intersection through teaching. Um, and so in many ways, I think project has been uh, a vehicle for particularly um, the kind of architectural community in Los Angeles and people who are associated or affiliated with that community in, for one reason or another to articulate their um, positions and maybe offered them a forum that didn't um, exist or wasn't as accessible um, right? Uh, because it was, you know, either more New York-centric or more sort of professionally driven or, or whatever the case might be. Um, so that, and that, that I think is both a, a strong suit of the journal and also, you know, I think we increasingly question maybe like, you know, is that problematic? Um, yeah. or, or do we need to uh, find other audiences and other um, sort of participants? Um, and if, not that that's all it's ever been, but right, right, that's right, been yeah. a kind of like, dominant um, yeah. strain, let's say, of, of the work in the journal. In terms of um, practice, uh, I think teaching, well, it's interesting. You know, I think at, at SciArc, where I taught for three years, there's a almost uh, there's almost no distinction between most people's teaching and their mm -hmm. practices, mm -hmm. yeah. and there's very much an extension of one into the other. At Columbia, I think there's much more of a kind of, uh, not separation, but teaching seems like it has a kind of autonomy from the practice maybe. Oh, interesting. Um, because I think 
in part because it's 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 more of a kind of institutional attitude. But I think um, it's the students drive the work more oh, uh, right. and more okay. idiosyncratically okay. and in their own directions, and the teaching is more sort of providing a framework and shaping, you know, helping to kind of shape that work as opposed to, to defining a much more precise problem and a technique and having students all go through the yeah. same technique. You know, like, Sire has very much um, aspects of a kind of, uh, you know, frequent reference they would be Joseph Albers at Yale, mm -hmm. the color studies, like, uh -huh. that, that there are these kind of techniques which everybody works through that build a foundation. And Columbia, I think, m much like um, the other Ivy League, certainly, or, or other schools, um, many other schools probably, uh, there's a different attitude about the students, you know, you posing questions, but the students each answering them in their own ways and finding their own right, kind of, right, uh, right. ways of expressing their ideas. And so I've, I've always been suspicious a little bit, maybe of both or, or, you know, not suspicious, but had some kind of anxiety about both in the sense that I neither want to be in the position of, of dictating to my students exactly how they should do things. And in that way, make teaching a kind of extension of my practice where, you know, where they, um, could fall into the role of kind of apprentice intern. Um, yeah. Uh, nor do I want a kind of unstructured environment where like anything goes and, and there doesn't seem to be a, yeah. a sort of strong set of uh, constraints in place that help the students to build a kind of common language or to be working in some ways on a kind of collective project or advancing some idea collectively. Um, and so finding a balance between those things well, this is maybe a tangential question. You know, so I, I don't know. In a way, I don't think teaching has directly inflected the practice or vice versa, but I think, or influenced the practice or vice versa, but it's probably inflected them. Like it's, you yeah. know, I certainly, as I teach more and more, try, you know, I have more to draw on, let's say, in my own practice that can inform the kinds of studio problems that I set up because now I have a, I have a more robust kind of experience actually Mm -hmm. making designing things um and so there's probably a little bit more of that coming in to the teaching at the same time that i'm also maybe more confident opening things up because i don't feel as much anxiety that okay if you know a student does a bad project it's going to reflect horribly on me i'm going to get fired <laughs> um yeah and uh in terms of the practice i think teaching again has produced you know it's exposed us to a whole set of ideas and whole set of possibilities that we wouldn't otherwise have been exposed to and I think those can't help but enter yeah, into the yeah. work we do and and somehow shape who we are um, as architects and so I you know I'm not sure I could draw sort of specific lines between you know a an experience in teaching and a project but certainly if I look just like stepped away and looked at our body of work I would you know you could probably guess that we have been around some of the people that we've been around or you know that we right. We're participating in some of the conversations that we're participating in, um, and, and are part of a kind of generation or a, yeah. a group of people who all are working around certain ideas. Yeah, I mean, it's again, this is something that comes up on the podcast all the time, and it's something I think about in my own teaching work. Is that split? Uh, not really split, but kind of the the Venn diagrams of the classroom and the studio, and how how much overlap can they be and over the especially the last semester I really was trying to pay attention to it and really think about where they overlap for me because like you I don't and and most of the people I talk to who are teachers say the same thing we don't want to make our students mini us's you know or just 
do the same things that we do. Um, and as much as I like that kind of open, you know, kind of everyone does their own thing, it also can kind of almost feel uncontrollable sometimes. And, and the one class that I did that in, I don't think went as well as I thought it could have. Uh, and I think that kind of balance of, uh, you know, it's impossible to not bring in any of yourself into the classroom. And, and I found, for me, the, the more my, not necessarily my process or, or my work or what my work looks like or even what my work is about, um, I don't really communicate much, but definitely kind of my point of view about what design is or how design relates to the world or what design should be doing, that filters in and then the students can kind of pick, can kind of figure out how that may or may not relate to why they like design mm -hmm. um, and what they want to get out of design. And that's that's been the best kind of overlap I found so far is that you know is that kind of theoretical side does that does that resonate with you I guess is what I'm what, I, what I'm kind of getting at yeah I, was, I mean I just as you're speaking I was just thinking about my own experience as a student you know I think like I was at Yale which prided itself on a kind of pluralism mm. I was drawn to the teachers who had this strongest positions and where it felt the least like anything goes. <laughs> uh, but I think the difference maybe, um, and it, you know, particularly say at Yale, Peter Eisenman was there as a very strong personality mm -hmm. and presence. And, and a, there's always a certain group of students who choose to engage with that uh -huh. um, work. And I was one of those students. And, and the reason was, you know, you sort of feel like, okay, this is where I'm going to get like the real, you know, this is like yeah. the real stuff is happening. Or this is where the, the most, um, intense and specific conversations are happening. And I think the difference relative to maybe some of the things I'm describing is that there, there wasn't so much a prescriptive idea of what you had to do. You were kind of self-selecting into mm. a way of working right. and you then pursued that without somebody necessarily. I mean, of course there were conversations like that's not a drawing, you know, you can't draw in perspective. Uh, yeah. Why are you using color? Like th those things, and, but for the most part, those were just like we just under sort of understood intuitively, or um, you know, had somehow been conditioned to accept that as a context and didn't need to be sort of forced to like work in a certain way. Yeah. And so I think it's it's probably in part a product of yourself building a kind of strong enough practice or a, a strong enough sense of you, what you were doing outside mm -hmm. of teaching maybe or or in teaching that you can uh I mean, inspire sounds like a inspire a certain um ethic from the student work ethic from the students as opposed to having to kind of dictate it to them and that you right. know i think as a young faculty member and a young architect it's you know you don't necessarily have that kind of weight um and there's all kinds of problems that come with that weight in terms of the power dynamics and the exploitation of people you know the, not to say that that should be valorized unconditionally but um you know i think the more precise your practice becomes the more robust it becomes the more um advanced your own work becomes the more maybe naturally your students um will see a model that they're interested in engaging with and will be kind of motivated themselves yeah. to engage with it as opposed to you kind of coming in and saying like this is how we're going to do it these are the rules you know and then especially to you know a school like columbia where the students are 
coming to the school exactly for the opposite of that, you know, exactly for some sense right. that this is the place where there are no rules, it's a place where anything's possible, and, and you know, there's a long and super interesting history of that ethos at that school, um, you know, they're not going to respond that well to that necessarily. Right, right, or some, right. you know, some yeah. will kind of get it and go along with it, and some will be like, no way, you know, like, I'm not doing that. Right. Uh, yeah, and they're graduate students, so what are you going to do? Like, you're not going to give them attention, you know, like, <laughs> at a certain level, like, they're adults who've chosen to not, like, right. they're choosing to pay all this money to go to this school and pursue their own careers, and you're there to help them and to to give some shape to that and, and expose them to things that you think are critical, but you're not there to, like... Get right. them over the head until they right. obey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if that answered the question. Yeah, no, no, no. That, that was great. That I, I, I mean, I could talk forever just about kind of teaching and, and, and that side of things. I have I have a couple just kind of quick questions to kind of wrap everything up. I'm curious, you know, between all of these things that you're doing and kind of taking us back to the beginning of the conversation, uh, what role does writing kind of play in your work now, or, or does it is I assume writing is part of your work, everything from from kind of writing proposals to, to syllabi. But does that um, kind of early education is there places for that in your work now? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think uh, as you s suggest, like of course I'm writing all the time, whether it's writing a syllabus or writing a you know some piece of text to accompany a project or writing some kind of editorial text for a project. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I have a certain facility for it, probably, you know, or I feel comfortable writing in a way that maybe other people don't because I've just done so much of it and I've been so sort of exposed to it. Um, and the same with editing, you know, like I sort of right. feel, feel comfortable as an editor, though I wasn't sort of formally trained as an editor, but I, you know, I've just spent so much time working with writing. But yeah. um, I think in a way, well, you know, project, I'm not sure like how long we will do it. Um, you know, it's been seven years and I'm not sure we're going to do it forever, whether we hand it off to somebody else or whether, you know, it, it kind of comes to a natural conclusion because I, I think the one thing with project in relation to writing is, the, you know, the time that I would say have otherwise probably spent writing my own criticism or mm. articulating my own ideas in, you know, attempting to kind of put out a sort of theoretical position or a critical position I think has been sort of spent on project and on supporting other people's writing yeah. that way. And it, it, that's probably a good thing because whatever I would have written at, you know, two years out of school, three years out of school for school, for the most part, probably would have been very interesting to read or stood up very well or reflected any kind of real like yeah. round yeah. um, idea. But I think as, you know, as our practice develops and as, as teaching develops, there will be a time when it's more important to write you know, to put in writing those mm -hmm. um, projects and those ideas. And so, um, you know, I don't know how that'll happen. And, and also our practice being collaboration, you know, how writing will yeah. um, enter into it exactly. Like often, both in, in terms of design and writing, we s often just work in parallel to each other and have a kind of a common enough sensibility that things s seem to have all come from the same place, even if we more or less do them in isolation. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know if at a certain point we'll sit down and say, like, we want to write an right. essay on mm -hmm. X, which, you know, somehow reflects our interest in, yeah. um, in something. But, uh, but it comes yeah, back, writing's always there. It comes back to the work, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, I also write, I mean, the thing I've enjoyed about Project particularly is, like, 
the opportunity to write about other people's work and to, to kind of be a critic um, yeah. and to try to articulate why it is that some piece of work is interesting or challenging or um, exciting in, in one way or another. And I, I don't know that I would stop doing that, but I, you know, I don't know. I, 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 yeah, in a way, I, I'm not sure that there's a specific, I think there's always writing and I'll always be writing and I'm not sure I, I know exactly in what yeah, sort of yeah, yeah. register I will be writing at some point. Yeah, and I didn't mean I didn't mean for that question to sound like I no, was no, like, sure. you know, just making reflections of my own anxieties <laughs> about writing. It, it leads in nicely to to my next question though, which is, you know, are there what are topics or issues or, or things that you're thinking about right now, or that you know, even if you did, you know, if you carved out some space to write, what are the things that that have been on your mind lately? Um, hmm. I think I become more and more, and this is I think a natural kind of progression for architects, more and more interested in, uh, in let's say the the material, the <laughs> materiality of things, um, mm. the the kind of physical uh, reality of materials, um, and that's certainly more and more uh, affecting the, t the teaching I do, and I think it 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 comes kind of. Um, through maybe in the work that Alfie and I are doing, um, which is not to say to kind of um, be reverent about authentic materials or, or anything of that nature. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that it all has to be, you know, hand-carved or uh, rough expressive <laughs> concrete or, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and I would extend materials also to the kind of materiality of digital yeah, yeah. software and, and digital um, spaces, which is to say, like, I think we're equally fascinated by the, the material qualities of the objects we make in Rhino and the kind of default world oh, of Rhino as we are about, say, the materiality of what the foam cutter does or, or what right. the contractor does. Um, so I would say that maybe is one overarching um, interest that's that's perhaps not so well-defined yet, but it seems to be... Um, and it, this is maybe, again, one of those more intuitive things. Like, I've gotten... I'm really trying to push my students to invest in the materiality of their models and to not just default to kind of, okay, this is a basswood model, this is a chipboard model. Oh, yeah, But yeah, to yeah. really explore um, the potential to generate other effects through a really precise um, oh, engagement so with material. Yeah. And I think that came very much out of um, also an experience at SciArc, which I would not say like that the school, that that material in the sense of like concrete and wood is is really the a, a kind of ethic there, if anything, that's not allowed, but um, that there's an enormous uh, emphasis on on craft and on mm. models being really like precisely and convincingly um, developed, um, and so you see, you know, students make the most elaborate and kind of immersive um, models, and I think that was really exciting to me and, and opened my eyes to a different way of working, which I hadn't in my own, you know, education yeah. or um, experiences um, been exposed to. That's one thing. I think. I think another thing, which is you know maybe more um, sort of articulated as a theory or, you know, in relation to a, a number of um, existing kind of ideas would be, I wouldn't say medium specificity necessarily, but like a, an attitude trying to convince students especially and trying to remind ourselves in our practice that what we're working on as architects is buildings and that buildings have certain properties and that you sort of have to stake a claim for your ideas in the realm of building and, and um, oh. really have to articulate things through ideas about buildings as opposed to constantly being 
kind of drawn towards more ephemeral or alternative media, which I think um, has somewhat watered down or kind of dissipated the energy yeah. of the discipline. Yeah. And so, uh, again, I mean, and I think this reflects any number of, you know, sort of biographical experiences and, and people I've been exposed to, but, you know, the idea that, um, especially for my students, that they should not see a building as something to be avoided because it's too real or that's what we do in practice or, you know, that's, I didn't come to school to design buildings, you know, I came to school to do other things, but, but to really yeah, like yeah. force them to grapple with the thing, which ultimately, if you want to be an architect, you're going to have to grapple with, which is like, okay, I have a client, they have a program and I have to find a way to articulate an idea or pursue a kind of position through this yeah. um, medium, which is like a thing that sits in the city or in the world that people go into, that people use, that I don't have control over. That And so where, you know, where's your authorship as an architect? Where do you have a kind of impact on that? Um, yeah. And and how can you look back in the discipline and understand, you know, the thing that comes, the, the closest parallel to come back to this original question between literature and, and architecture for me is I feel like I can look at a building, you know, look at a plan or look at a, a piece of architecture and draw out of it a set of arguments or a set of mm. um, associations mm -hmm. between it and other um, projects. And that um, is very much the way I used to or still maybe sometimes look at literature. And right. that's something that I would really love my students to be able to do or, you know, think would be really beneficial to the discipline because if more people were just looking closely at the buildings yeah. that are actually in yeah. the world, like we come into this building, the new school, you know, we can talk about what it's doing, um, right. you know, why it is the way it is or not that we can answer the question of why the architect made it that way, but, you know, how does it operate? What is, what is it like? Yeah. What is it not like relative to other buildings? You know, why are these materials put in these places or what are the effects of these materials being put in these places or, you know, using a staircase instead of an escalator or a ramp instead of a staircase or, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. this kind of entry into the building versus this kind of entry into the building. Um, and so those kinds of things, like just a kind of literacy in building and a commitment to working through buildings as a medium, as opposed to, um, constantly kind of searching for alternative uh, uh, venues. And I think that's a kind of insecurity that architecture architects have or architecture that's, has with respect yeah. to any number of things, whether it's art, graphic design, um, you know, writing that like, oh, there's, you know, there's a kind of freedom in these other disciplines that we don't have, or right. there's a directness and an immediacy that we don't have. That's we're always so working representationally on the building instead of on the, you know, making the thing itself. Yeah. We're always making the representation of the thing. But... You know, those other uh, disciplines always seem jealous of architecture. So I don't know. Yeah, you know I, I mean, think we should all just do what we do and not like worry about it too much and just commit to that. Yeah. Um, I'm so mad you bring this up at the end because I could talk to you for another hour just about that, about that, that topic. I love that so much. My last question, this is how I end every conversation. I'm curious, um, someone listening to this is kind of interested in your work, interested in kind of the things we've been talking about. Um, are there books, writers, critics who have really kind of teachers who have influenced you that you either uh you know find yourself keep going back to or someone listening you assigning a reading list to them who are some of those people or books that would be on that list hmm uh okay well i mean within architecture like certainly if i were to reflect on my own experience i think the two most um sort of potent voices were uh peter eisman who i studied with at yale and andrew zago who i taught with at SciArc. Um, I think those, you know, and then there's any number of other people who I've taught with, especially who I think are really, um, exciting and younger people, um, you know, whether it's like, 
practices like First Office or mm, Millions yeah. or Moss or, um, you know, any number of uh, uh, people who I've been exposed to whose ideas I find um, compelling. And I think, that, you know, there's kind of interrelationships between uh, what we're doing and what they're doing. Um, in terms of writers, you know, I think, well, certainly like when I was in, in school and to this day, I think Colin Rowe was somebody who was mm. sort of formative. Um, and, you know, I just, in this um, studio I'm teaching right now at Columbia, there were sort of three readings exactly around this, this problem of buildings and kind of generic buildings, which we're working on, like everyday buildings as, as opposed to exceptional buildings like museums and libraries, et cetera. Oh. Like, okay, what if we just do a kind of generic infill commercial building that has some people living in it and some people working in it? Um, and that, you know, we've been reading Colin Rowe and, and Rem Koolhaas' Delirious New York, which of oh, yeah. course is a, a yeah, classic, yeah. but um, particularly for non-architects is a great place to start. And um, some of President Scott Cohen's more recent writings on this problem of medium specificity and the, and the kind of specific uh, conditions of buildings that architects might engage with. Um, but, you know, in a way, like I would say my sensibility, like people, you know, like Roberto Bolaño or, or mm. um, you know, there's like other things yeah, yeah, which, yeah. which immediately jump to mind if I were to say like, what are my favorite books? I don't think any of them would be by architects, you know. Well, that's okay. Like uh, 2666 is like the oh. best thing I've read in the past, you know, 10 or 15 years, I just read Lincoln and the Bardo. I thought it was, you know, amazing. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, like the great Gatsby and Tenders yeah, yeah. of the Night were the most like important um, books for me or, you know, so I think there's, there's also other, other sort of sensibilities or other, yeah, yeah, I, in a yeah. way I would say like, just, <laughs> just, you know, just read, read whatever is good. It doesn't matter where it comes from. Or, yeah. Um, but yeah, in architecture, I mean, I think there's, there's any number of really exciting, um, critics and, and historians and, you know, Reinhold Martin, who we had up um, in that first conversation yeah. uh, at Yale, I think is doing all kinds of really interesting work on housing at the Buell Center and all his students and this whole kind of um, group that's working around that or um, Pierre Vittorio Relli, who, you know, again, we had, a, you know, these people yeah. who have kind of like, uh, maybe I um, was drawn to when I was a student and have stayed somehow engaged with um, their work um, because I think they yeah. have really crucial ideas on the table. I thought that was, I, I think that was a great answer and and covered the range. I didn't mean to to kind of limit it to no no no, to, no. you know <laughs> I think it's I, I I would it's one of those things you want to avoid like what are your favorite what kind of music do you listen to or something it's like I don't know. yeah I mean I saw your I face want, when I asked I don't want to commit to anyway thank you so much this was such an interesting conversation for me like I said uh, when we when I had first emailed you I'm a fan of just the way you kind of approach your work and I think kind of. The, the way you're kind of working across mediums is very, um, very much fits the theme of the podcast. And so I'm so glad we got to do this. So thank you so much for yeah, being on the podcast. Thank you, This episode was recorded on June 25th, 2018 in New York City. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.